Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the transformation of the heart, which is a big topic. So I gave it a subtitle that will hopefully become a little bit clearer as we go on. Um, so it's transformation of the heart or how to engage your elephant. Okay. Hopefully that will become a little bit clearer as we go. Okay. Um, but I want to tell you um, a little story first about something that was in my garden until fairly recently. I've got a picture of it to show you. Um, back when my kids were small and cute as well. There they are. Oh, miss those guys. Um, uh, so this is a climbing frame, as you will be aware. Um, and it, it stood in my garden for about uh, five years until this summer when my children, who are not that size anymore, just stopped playing with it, so we got rid of it. Um, but uh, I, we bought this climbing frame on eBay, secondhand. Um, thought we'd save ourselves some money, so I, um, I uh, found the listing on eBay. Uh, it was from somewhere in North Yorkshire, uh, Ripon, I believe it was. So hired a van for the day, took a day off, um, if you know what those are, um, and then uh, drove up to Ripon and uh, found this climbing frame pretty much looking exactly like that in somebody else's garden. And I had taken with me what I thought were the right tools for the job. However, about five minutes in, as my drill was stopping turning, <laughs> uh, I realized that I had not got the right tools for the job. The, um, the power drill I had intended to use to like take these screws out, it just like died straight away. Both batteries gave it a good go, but I was about three screws in, and then I realized I was going to have to just work very, very hard because I did not have the right tools for the job. So anyway, I um, after about probably 10 minutes of, of watching me out of the kitchen window, um, the lady that uh, I was buying the, the climbing frame out came and asked if I was all right. And I very sheepishly said, have you got any tools that I can borrow? Because I've driven all this way. And uh, I've, I've paid you for the climbing frame, but I can't take it down to put it in the van that I've hired to then drive it back on this day off that I've taken. Um, and she was actually very kind and lent me some tools. So I did have the right tools for the job. Uh, and eventually got it home, um, and then, as you can tell, managed to reassemble it, um, and my children enjoyed it, as did some of your children in this room. And some of you, some of my friends are just disappointed that we've lost it, aren't you? I'm sorry. Um, we'll make it up to you another time. Um, and then this summer, when it came to taking it apart for the final time, I was a bit less judicious because it was going to the tip, um, but it did come down in record time uh, this summer when I took it apart. But, I, but the, the thing is, I was, I was trying to do a job that I wasn't equipped for. I didn't have the right tools for the job. If I was Dave Reason, I would have been all right. <laughs> but I did not have the right tools for the job. And you know, like we've all probably attempted some, some level of DIY at home. And you know, that little, Allen key that IKEA give you, you'll get the job done eventually, but it's not going to go very quickly, is it? You need the right tools for the job. But what about when we're trying to do some work on ourselves? When we're trying to 
transform our inner life, when we want our heart to change, we need the right tools from the job. The transformation of our inner lives, the transformation of our behavior, our character, when we find ourselves thinking or acting in ways that we know fall short of who we really are and who we want to be in Jesus. We need the right tool for the right job. Because the thing is, we are not simply rational beings, are we? We're this complicated, integrated mess of thoughts and feelings and rational processing, but also entirely irrational behavior at the same time. We find ourselves doing things that we never thought we would do, that we knew that we didn't want to do, but we did it anyway. There's a, there's a um, psychologist called Jonathan Haidt, um, wrote a very interesting article called The Coddling of the American Mind, which I recommend you go and read. But Jonathan Haidt, he has this analogy for how we process stuff. And it's this picture of a rider and an elephant. I've got a picture of a rider and an elephant, just to kind of, there you go, just silhouetted. It's very peaceful looking right now. Um, but he says that, you know, our decision making, the way that we process the world is a bit like a rider sat on top of an elephant. Now, the rider is our rational mind. It's the way we make logical decisions. It's the way we think and process the world around us. The elephant we're sat on is our desires. It's all the stuff going on inside us. It's all the subconscious things, the feelings, the urges that we have. It's not subject to reason. It's not subject to our conscious thought necessarily. And, you know, most of the time, the rider's in control. It says, go over here, and the elephant obeys. But the thing about elephants is they can take over. There's very little a rider can do to stop the elephant once it's made up its mind to go somewhere. You can't stop an elephant going where it wants to go. And yes, most of the time, the relationship between the elephant and the rider is good. But even the most skillful rider can't stop an elephant going where it wants to go. I think um, Paul gets this when he writes in his letter to the Romans, to the Christians in Rome, Romans 7, 19. He says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. He's talking about this wrestle with, like, I know what's good for me. I know the kind of person I want to be, but something within me draws me to this other stuff that I don't want to do or stops me doing the good stuff that I do want to do. And we've got this wrestle going on inside all of us. Paul's saying that, you know, despite wanting to do good, he finds himself not only doing, only not doing the good, but doing worse and doing the things he doesn't want to do. His rational mind desires to do good works, but something within him isn't fully under its control you know and, and science bears this out like we know that the subconscious parts of our brain can take over in moments of stress in moments of certain stimuli you know part of our brain called the amygdala can like just hijack and bypass our rational processing and it causes us to respond in ways we never thought we would whether that's fight or flight or freeze or flop responses so we'll only get so far if we ever just try and deal with the rational part of ourselves. We won't 
ever experience real and lasting change if we're solely reliant on willpower, on changing our mindset, or simply thinking our way into transformation. And those things are really important. The way you think is really important. Like your, the way that you train your elephant. You can train your elephant. You can, um, you know, through tools like cognitive behavioral therapy, they actually work. You can actually think your way into changing some of your internal world as well. But I think Jesus offers us something more. Those things are important. Like, I don't want to discount the significance of things like counseling and therapy. And those are really important and significant things. But with Jesus, we get to address what's inside. And we know, we know that, like, behaviors are much better. It's so much easier to change your behavior when you're motivated by something deeper. Let me give you an example in my life. So... Um, I think it was about 2016, uh, one of my kids turned to me and said, Daddy, why is your tummy so big? Um, and so, it's all right, you can laugh, that's fine. Don't, you don't, like, I'm all right with it. Um, so I spent the next three years losing weight <laughs> and eating better and going to the gym. Um, and I the prodigal son. Some of my weight has returned, and I'm less excited to see it than the father was. Um, but we're going to do something about that. Um, and there's, there's that old adage that, you know, like, falling in love makes you do crazy things. Like, I know people in this room that have moved halfway around the world to be with someone. Because something in their heart said, oh, this is the person that I want to be with. And marketers and advertising executives, they know this. Marketers want to get to your heart. They want to get you, get you in the desires, get below your rational processing and capture you, capture your attention. Um, maybe think about the, uh, I think one of the greatest marketing slogans that got 52% of our population in the UK to vote for something that wasn't necessarily good for them, objectively speaking so far. Um, <laughs> think, of, think of Brexit what you want, but the phrase take back control is an extremely powerful and effective slogan for getting at the desires of people who feel like life is out of control and by putting a particular box on a particular bit of paper, something might change. Like that phrase, take back control, it spoke to something deeper inside of a lot of people and motivated them to action. And the technology industry knows this. There's a reason why on your iPhone or other devices that are also available, when you have notifications, those notifications are in red. Because when you see the color red, it taps into something just beyond your subconscious that says, this is important, red is for danger, you need to pay attention, and then you tap on the notification and you're off on a little journey down some internet rabbit hole somewhere. So the world around us is always trying to tap into our desires, what's going on underneath the surface. And you know, not all of our desires are good. Some of our desires need reordering. Just like Paul was saying in Romans 7. You know, and Jesus himself diagnoses the problem a bit like this in Mark chapter 7. He says, for from within, 
out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It's quite a list. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. See, Jesus knew that the issue with us is not simply about addressing our outward actions. It's to do with what's within us. And thanks to sin entering the world, corrupting and distorting the human heart, without God's intervention, we're all destined to fall short of the glorious purpose that he's intended for us. We're created in his image, but that image is fractured and diminished by the presence of sin and brokenness in the world. But God's never really simply been in the business of behavior management. See, when God, um, he, he gave the law to Israel, but he never intended to stop there. You know, the law in itself was a signpost, right? For a start, like in the Old Testament, in the, in the Torah, there's like over 600 laws the 600 instructions, but even those 600, they're not quite enough to deal with the complexities of everyday life, even in ancient Israel. You know, even ancient Israelites needed wisdom beyond the law. It was intended to lead them into wisdom. And when God is promising to restore Israel after exile and destruction, he says this in Ezekiel 32, and I think this is a promise of what he's going to make available through Jesus. He says to Ezekiel, he's talking to Israel about their restoration. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'll put a new heart in you. One that's not prone to all that junk that Jesus was talking about but that's moved to follow his decrees. And again, in Jeremiah, when again, God's promising about a new covenant that's coming that we believe is fulfilled in Jesus. To Jeremiah, he says, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. God wants to write on your heart, not simply tell you how to behave. What about the psalmist David? After he's caught and condemned for his sexual sin and for murder, he writes in Psalm 51, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And Jesus comes to do the job for us, right? He's the fulfillment of all of these promises. He's the one that's able to transform our hearts. Because new life is possible with him when he died and rose again, once and for all, dealing with the problem of sin and decay. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. 
So the good news today is that if you said yes to Jesus, you're made new. All the stuff in your heart that doesn't feel right, that doesn't want to follow God, that wants to do it your own way, Jesus is the answer to that, that problem. Jesus wants to come and make your heart new. And he's done it, but we need to keep choosing it, right? And Jesus, he has opened up the way for us to be made new. You know, the moment you say yes to him, he does that. But we need to keep choosing that truth. Like Hebrews 10 says, but why, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're made perfect forever, but we're being made holy. It's like, it's done, but it was still in process. I read a quote this week um, from a guy called William Gibson, who's a novelist and essayist and sort of future thinker. He said this, said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> like, I quite like that one. Um, or as John Wimber likes to say, the way in is the way on. The new life we get in Jesus, the transformation of our heart is the way on into life with him. We have to keep being transformed. So that is why making space to meet with Jesus is a big deal for us. Because we want people to meet Jesus for the first time. And we want people who already know Jesus to keep meeting with him and keep having their heart transformed into his likeness. Because it's when we meet him and allow him to minister to our hearts that that change happens. It's when we allow him to reorder our desires, to wash away the things that aren't of him, when we allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our brokenness and restore and renew us, empowering us to live the kind of life that produces the good fruit that I think we all want, right? And in order to do that, we have to allow him to engage our elephant. We have to allow Jesus to get to the bits inside of us that drive us. We have to let Jesus get to our hearts. We've got to let him in and meet us in ways that go beyond our rational mind and touch the deeper parts of us. Yes, we want to engage on an intellectual level with the Bible, with faith, with reason. All of those things are good. But to have lasting fruit to have the full offer of life that Jesus wants to give us. We've got to let him get under the surface as well. And there's, I want to say maybe there's three ways today that we can do that with him. Three ways we can facilitate ourselves encountering Jesus. Um, so the first way to get under the surface is worship. Um, it was almost like the last kind of half an hour or so could not have set me up any better. Um, I, and we'll talk about what happened. And I'm just trying to put it all together in, in ways that make sense. Um, but let me say this firstly. Um, music and worship, they facilitate an emotional encounter with Jesus because music is inherently emotional. Like music opens up to the deeper stuff going on inside of us. Um, I don't know 
We've got any Taylor Swift fans in the room? Yeah? Guys at the back. I, um, I read this news story uh, recently about people that were going to Taylor Swift concerts, um, this new tour. They were going in and coming out, and they could not remember anything that happened. Like, they, they, walked in, they knew they walked in, they knew they walked out, they knew they'd watched Taylor Swift perform for the last, like, it's a long gig, it's like two and a half hours or something, isn't it? Over three, M knows. <laughs> there you go. Um, so they, they had this three-hour experience, and they can't remember any of it. It's because they're having such a deep experience with the music, because music is powerful. And I think, um, you know, we, we walk this line between, in worship, we walk this line between facilitation and manipulation, don't we? Like, we're not here to force you to feel anything. But what we do want to do is create an environment where you can feel something. Um, like, there is a very tight connection, I believe, between anointing and talent when it comes to musical ability and anointing for worship. Like, part of the reason that Seiyen is an anointed musician is because she's talented because she's worked super hard on making that violin sound incredible right and there's something inside of us that comes alive when we hear like the tone and the timbre of the violin with this like just a little bit of reverb as well I heard that Adam enjoyed that like there's something that produces a response in us and we'd be a bit foolish to just say it's all the Holy Spirit. Now, like, someone's worked really hard to create an environment for you to encounter the Holy Spirit as well. It's not manipulation, it's facilitation. Like, how many times have you listened to a song and thought, oh, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Oh, th this, is, this is my song. They just climbed inside of my head and kind of, kind of wrote all the things that I was feeling out on the page. Music opens us up to these emotional encounters with Jesus. And so that's why, like this morning, we just took a moment to pause in his presence and allow him to meet with us in the environment that was created by the team so beautifully. To just allow our feelings to come to the surface, to give voice to the things that are going on below So that's why we're always in this church family going to be making a space for you to express what is going on under the surface to Jesus. That he can meet you in your emotions, meet you in the stuff that, that is happening inside you that you can't quite put your finger on. But he wants to meet you there. And Ruth and Dan led us so beautifully in that earlier on. So if you want Jesus to do some work on what's inside of you, get in an environment of worship. Get around musical worship specifically. And you can do that on your own, but it's so much more fun to do it together. And we get to lean on one another's gifting and talent. And, and we're going to keep making a space for that. In fact, I guess a whole bunch of you in this room are here because that's one of the things that we do do, right? And the second thing 
that helps us make space for Jesus to get under the surface. His ministry is praying with one another. It's why when we pray for one another, when we equip our teams to pray for one another, the three little words, not those three little words, the three little words that we say at the start of every prayer, at least we tell everyone to say them. If you've had an experience with someone who's not started like this, they're not kicked off the team just yet. But the three words we want to start with each time we pray are come Holy Spirit. Standing with someone else alongside you, listening to Jesus, inviting his spirit to come and minister to you is like one of the most profoundly powerful things you can do to change your heart, to give Jesus space to change your heart. I know, like for me, when I've gone too long without having someone else put a hand on my shoulder and pray for me, like I feel dry. Like I, I, um, I, I miss it. When life has got too busy or my, you know, the other stuff I'm doing on a Sunday means I can't get over and have someone pray with me for, for a couple of months. I'm, I could feel the difference. There's a hunger in me to get prayed for by other people because I know the difference that it makes to me on the inside. One little story. I am... Um, Again, like to just affirm the value of, of counseling and talking, um, not to over-spiritualize everything. Like I, I went for some counseling um, earlier on, kind of back end of last year, start of this year. And uh, one of the things that came up in my counseling session was um, like this, this memory that I had of when I was little, when I was a little kid. Um, and my parents did an incredible job just because they listen. Mum, Dad, you're great. Um, <laughs> but I just had this memory of something that happened when I was a kid and... Um, it resulted in you know, some of my needs as a child, um, my emotional needs not being entirely met um, in a way that uh, you know, was just totally understandable. But as a kid, I'd taken it on, and I, it formed a little bit of how I thought and processed in the world. And that's, you know, our, our elephants are often formed by our very early experiences. The stuff that you can't quite articulate is because you learned it when you couldn't quite articulate what it meant. Um, which is terrifying for any parent, right? Because like the first five years of this child's life, I'm sewing all kinds of stuff into their life. I just hope I'm doing a good job. But um, anyway, I'd had this memory and I talked about in counseling and talked about how, um, you know, I, I saw it impacting my life now. And um, it's really helpful to get some clarity. I found it really helpful. But then a few weeks ago, I was at, um, uh, just a gathering where some people were praying for one another that um, Ian and Karen and Ian's out on Explorers. I'll go say thank you to him later. And Ian came and prayed for me. And Ian was like, oh, I feel like this, you're just carrying something like from your childhood that you want to, that Lord wants to heal. And I realized that I'd like, I'd done a lot of processing about this thing in my head, this episode from my childhood. But I hadn't opened up to allow the Lord to heal my heart from it. And so I, I'd done the work in my mind, but I needed Jesus to do the work in my heart. And so we just prayed about this little thing. And if it wasn't for the counseling, again, I wouldn't have been in my consciousness. Counseling is good. But, but I needed someone to say, Jesus, where were you in that moment? Could you show John where you were? 
and just walk through some forgiveness and processing and all of that stuff. So I think praying for another, opening ourselves up to allow the Holy Spirit, it touches bits of us that our rational mind can't. And then the third thing, the third thing to make space for is contemplation. Um, did I put contemplation? There we go, I did put contemplation. Couldn't remember what word I'd used. But making space every day just to be with Jesus. Just to be with him. Not to give him a list of prayers. Not to try and wrestle with scripture. Not to try and twist his arm, but just allow him to be himself with you. Um, this is a practice that I've tried to take on. Um, I, I realized kind of a few years ago that my prayer life was a bit dry or like non-existent quite a lot of the time. So I um, wanted to learn how to pray. So I um, went and did this um, prayer school with a guy called Brian Zand. And one of the things that he, uh, and loads of people are doing this, but this was just my story. Um, he encouraged in like his liturgy for prayer. He's like, make space to sit with Jesus, just to be with Jesus and allow him to be himself with you. Don't use any words, just allow him to come and sit with you. And so this is a practice that I was um, I was doing every day, um, along with my uh, healthy eating. And uh, I think it's probably one of the things that helped me eat well, in fact, and go to the gym. Uh, I felt like in a, in a really good spot. I was like praying every day. I was eating well. I was losing weight. I was going to the gym. But this thing of like just sitting with Jesus, I was doing it every day. And I could tell it was making a difference. I could tell that I wasn't as reactive after six months of this practice. I could tell that things that wound me up weren't winding me up. I could tell that I was like more patient. I was, um, I was walking through life in a much more steady and stable way than I'd felt even just like six months before. And I was reflecting with a friend earlier this year, someone I've not seen for a few years. And we were just talking about life and catching up. And he was like, and we were talking about some other stuff that happened um, with, some, um, with some people that we know. And he said, oh, that thing that happened then, that must have been really hard for you. He said, that must have impacted you really badly. And I turned around to him and said, do you know what? I don't think it did. And the penny dropped for me that I was able to walk through a really tough situation that rationally should have really upset me because I was doing the daily task of sitting with Jesus and allowing him to change my heart, allowing him to minister to me on the inside. I was able to walk through the fire and not be burnt, metaphorically speaking, because I was allowing Jesus to work on my heart. So these three spaces we need to make together and for ourselves if we want to create a space for Jesus to come and engage our elephant, to get below the surface. Yes, the stuff in your mind, the way you think, the way you process, that's really important too. But today I want to invite you to allow Jesus to get under the surface. So I'd love to pray for you before we go on. Um, Dan's going to come and just 
facilitate a little bit by playing on the piano, if that's all right. Um, and you can, if you feel like you want to stand up, you can stay sat down. We've got 10 minutes before we need to go anywhere. Um, and I'll hand over to Neil in just a minute. But I want to pray for you um, today <laughs> that Jesus comes and meets you beyond just what you think, beyond just the way you process, but comes and brings that transformation to the inside of you. Jesus, we recognize that we are complicated creations. That being made in your image, there's so many different bits to us. Inside and outside. And Jesus, we want to live the kind of life that produces good fruit. We want to live the kind of life that pleases you. We want to have the kind of reactions that please you. We recognize there's more going on inside of us than we can put words to. But we want to give you space to meet us below the surface. We want to give you space to minister to our hearts, to our desires, to everything that's going on under the surface. So would you begin to speak to us about how we can make space for you to do that? Whether it's in this moment or if it's in the days to come. We want to create space for you to come and meet us in only ways that you can. To come and make us new. To come and transform us. And to be made ever more into your image. We thank you that you're faithful to do that. Come, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.